0: I want to speak to you from kind of the Christian's worldview about giving. If we were to talk about a comprehensive Christian worldview about giving, it would start with what the psalmist says, doesn't he? When he says, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness therein, everything in is the Lord's. There's nothing that is created on this earth that God didn't give us the ability to create or he didn't create, right? I mean, he, he gave it to us. He places things in our hand. We don't generate income. That, that's such a worldly thing for us to say is we're generating income. We, we, don't, we know we don't do that. We're working and God is providing. And this is very important for us because as we see this and we begin to understand that, it leads us to this next part. Now I'm gonna ask you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter eight and just kind of hold it open there because that's gonna be our text for this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter eight. If you find the gospels, turn right. If you find Revelation, turn left and it'll be there. If it becomes too arduous, There's a list of the books at the beginning of the Bible. If that is too much, it'll be on the screen. So, you know, we're taking care of you this morning every way that we can, all right? Uh, But I want you to read this with us in just a second. But before we get to that, because the earth is the Lord's, the fullness therein... The biblical understanding of giving actually starts with something that we call a tithe. One of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible comes from Proverbs chapter 3. It has a famous verse in it that you may have heard before. Uh, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. That's a Proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6. I love that. It's just a reminder to us all the time that we've got to look to the Lord. And it wouldn't be surprising then that the Bible speaks to us about finances. Jesus spoke about finances all of the time because he knew it was on your brain just like it's on my brain. We're always thinking about it. I'm in this season of life where finances seem to be on the brain all of the time. I'm thinking about cars for kids and braces for kids, and I'm thinking about college for kids. And, and just as soon as you say for that, then somebody says, well, you better get your retirement, right? And as soon as you say for that, they've got one more thing you need to say for I mean, them. It, it's always on our minds, right? And Jesus, remember we talked about this in the parable of the sower, said that it's easy for us to be distracted by pleasure, worry, and money. Pleasure, worry, money. So it's a big thing in our lives. And God tells us, you got to understand, I've got it all, and I require something back. I want you to hear this from Proverbs 3 and verse 9. The guys will put it on the screen for us. Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first produce of your entire harvest. That kind of sets the tone. So trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding, all your ways acknowledge him. And then it goes right into this. Honor the Lord with the first things that come from you. That's called the tithe. When we talk about what what God requires of us, he says, I give it all to you. I want 10% back. One of the first verses that I learned as a kid, was through Bible drill. We were doing Malachi 3.10. And if you've, ever, if you've ever heard me preach on this passage, you know that I confuse it often with King James Version speak, because that's how I learned it. I want us to read it uh, on the screen. It says, bring the full tenth. I learned it like this. Bring the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, thus saith the Lord. And see if I will not pour open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing, you'll not be able to receive it. When we see that, God's saying, bring the 10th, bring the tithe, bring it back. And we're not talking about that today. That's something as believers that we're called to live in obedience towards. What we're talking about today is something that God does in our heart called an offering. It's different. You often hear people say tithes and offering, bless the tithes and the offerings, and that's absolutely correct that we say it that way. Tithe required by God, offering what God allows us to give to special things, and global focus missions certainly are that way. So here we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I want to read this With us this morning. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that, according to their ability, and even beyond their own ability, by their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry of the saints, or to the saints, I should say, and not just what we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urge Titus, just as he had begun, so he should also complete this act of grace. Paul's writing to a church in a place called Corinth. And he's writing to them and saying, I want you guys to be a part of the offering for the church that's in Jerusalem. Now, if you remember, we studied from Acts chapter one, that's where the church was birthed. In fact, I was just reading this week uh, in my, my daily devotional, Acts two, three, and four, talking about how Peter began to preach that message. And I love that. The people were, it said, pierced to the heart when they heard the gospel. And they said, what should we do? And you remember what he said? repent and believe and be baptized. That's it, repent. Change your way of thinking. And he gives the gospel and the church is birthed right there and it starts expanding out. So now Paul is writing to this church in Corinth and saying, hey, the church in Jerusalem is suffering. They're under affliction. It's been really difficult. And I want you to be part of this offering. I've told you about it and I want you to be part of it. And he says, in fact, I want to talk to you about the church in Macedonia. And this is really important that we see this. So he's writing to Corinth about another church in Macedonia and asking them to participate in something that is crazy. Because here's what we know. Jerusalem filled with Jewish people who are becoming saved. Macedonia and Corinth filled with people like us. They're Gentiles. They're not part of God's people, and now they're saying, we want you to support God's, God's church here, made up of God's people, the Jewish people. And he says, look at what Macedonia did. And what they had done was truly remarkable. It was crazy. So he's basically saying, and I hope one day maybe Paul would write another letter in heaven or something, and he would say to people, you know what? I want you to be part of this offering. It's really important. And do just like Judson did do like Judson did because they gave and they were serious about giving and they were excited about giving. And I want you to see them. They're an example for us. So as he does this, I want you to see, first of all, what he gives us is a surprising giving formula. He's looking at these folks and he says in Macedonia, they were under affliction as well. So Jerusalem's under affliction, Macedonia's under affliction. And he says, Macedonians, they had great faith. And and this is not new to me. I didn't come up with this. I I don't even know who started saying this. Maybe one of you would know and you can tell me later in an email or or find me after church and tell me, But, but this is true, right? The Macedonians really got this. You've heard this statement that fear looks around, but faith looks up. Fear looks around at all the circumstances that are going on, but faith looks up. And and they totally understood that because as the world around them was difficult, they didn't look at their difficulty. They looked in their faith to what God was doing. And I'm going to tell you something. That's something that this church, all of us need to be reminded of all the time, isn't it? Because I I, I can't tell you how many people stop me and tell me things like this. You know, I sure wouldn't want to be bringing kids into the world now. I mean, it was better in the Great Depression or the bubonic plague. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's always difficult. to Have you ever met anybody who thought they had it easy raising kids? I mean, just thought it was like, no big deal. I sat back and had these kids. They just did right, did their own thing. I mean, it, it's not like that. And we, we talk like this, and we run around like Chicken Little. The sky's falling. The sky's falling. Did you see this? Did you see that? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And we just got all amped up, and it's fear instead of faith. Faith looks up. Fear looks around. And if you're looking around, your faith is diminished by your fear. They were under extreme duress. And they weren't worried about it. Not that they were ignorant of what was going on. Not that they had their head buried in the sand. But they had faith and could see beyond the issues that were facing them to do what God wanted them to do. And we need to do the same thing. We need to do the same thing. You know, 10 years has never been promised to you or the church. Jesus told you to ask for daily bread. Jesus said he would clothe you better than the lilies of the field were clothed. Jesus said that not a sparrow falls from the sky without God knowing it. He he says it's in the moment that these things are happening. Live in the moment of today. And I think sometimes we wonder why we're not effective in our witness to people, and it's because we go to work and we're just like everybody else. We're scared to death of what's just around the corner. It's going to be awful. That's not what we were just singing, though. Strength for today and bright hope for today tomorrow. That's the church's stance always, that God gives us the strength that we need today and he gives us hope for a future tomorrow, that he is doing something, that he is working in our lives, that God is going to do an incredible thing in our midst. And if we lose sight of that and give into fear, we lose faith. Now you've probably heard some rules of investing, financial rules. Have you ever heard this one? You know, like if you put your money in the stock market compounding interest, that kind of thing, you should see your money double every seven to kind of eight years. That's pretty good. I bet you've never gone to a financial advisor and heard the formula that Paul talks about here. Did you notice it? In verse two, he said, they were in affliction, but their abundant joy plus their extreme poverty equaled a wealth of generosity. Do you think there's a financial planner that talks about that? Abundant joy plus poverty equals generosity. That's funny, isn't it? I mean, you wouldn't think about that. Here they are in, in affliction. Here they are. They don't have all the money that maybe they wish they had. They, they're not living it on easy street, so to speak, but they had joy of the Lord and the joy that they had even in their poverty led to generosity. That's often been said that the, the more you get, the more that you acquire, the less generous you become. We think it would be the opposite. But why is that? I think a lot of times it's because we understand when you've lived in some hardship, when you've, when you've gone through hardship, you want to give when you've received. When you've seen somebody bless your life, it makes you generous. You, you, you remember what that felt like. And a lot of times in a community where people don't have a lot of money, they're generous when somebody, they'll take up a collection for somebody that needs something and send them on their way, help them out because they understand it, they see it. A lot of times the more stuff we have, we don't realize what's happening is we, we thought we were acquiring this stuff. We don't realize that it's actually owning us after a while, right? I had this great conversation. One of our interns was talking about the goals that people have that are in college with him. And he was just kind of shaking his head. He said, I, just, I don't feel like I fit in. He said, so many of the people that I want to go to college with or that I'm in college with, what they want to do when they get out is they basically want to get out of college and go live in a van. And I was like, that's called homelessness. You can achieve that today. You don't need a four-year degree for that. You, 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 can, you can do that right now. You can, you can sell everything you have. And, and we laugh at that, but, but don't you kind of feel that way sometimes too? Don't you, you, you kind of understand the ethos behind that of like, I just want to travel. I just want to be free to go do things. I just, I, I don't want to be tied down by all this stuff. I mean, don't you ever feel that way? Or is, Am I the only person that leaves home? I, I drive up this street right here. Every, every, every Monday morning. It's normally not on Sundays when I feel It's normally on Mondays. Do you ever feel this way on Mondays? I'm driving up this street and I get right here to the end of the road and I have a really important choice to make. I can turn left into the parking lot or I can turn right and go hit the interstate and get out of here. Do you ever feel that way? Like I just wanna go, Lord, just, let's just, you're fighting it, okay, we're going to work. You know what I mean? You just feel that way, right? But I mean, there's a point in our lives where these things overtake us and we don't realize that we're owned by all this stuff. But the formula here was joy plus poverty equal generosity. What would that mean for us that joy plus richest nation in the world? What should that equal? What What would it be? What would be the appropriate response that we realize that we live in a day and an age where we have the ability to have extra things and, and these different things that we get to do. Are, I mean, they're great. But what would joy? And I think sometimes we miss that. And can I just keep... I want to read the definition of joy for you. It's closely related to gladness and happiness. Although joy is more a state of being than an emotion because it's the result of a choice. That's different, isn't it? When we talk about joy... We talk about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you got saved, God gave you that. It's yours, Galatians 5.22, it's yours. We were talking about this Wednesday night in my grow group, talking about having the joy of the Lord there. When you have the joy of the Lord in your life, it changes things. And it's not dependent on whether or not your team won last night or your wife cooked your favorite meal or your husband helped out around the house or your kids did what you asked them to do. Joy is not dependent on that. Joy is a settled state of being that's not just a whim of an emotion because of what God has done in your life. And when you recognize what God has done in your life, All of a sudden, it makes you joyful. And I'm going to tell you the key to this. Here's the direct correlation for me. Maybe it won't be for you. But my joy is directly correlated to how much time I've spent with the Lord this week. Absolutely. If I run out the door in the morning because I'm late, if I run out the door in the morning, I was distracted, I didn't have my quiet time, I didn't get that chance to spend time reading the Word, praying, joy diminishes. It's just the way it is. So, when we spend time with the Lord and our joy is built with everything that we have, what should our generosity be? Well, these believers saw it as a privilege. A privilege. I want you to see this again, if if you would. He said in verse 3, I can testify according to their ability, even beyond their ability, of their own accord. In other words, nobody had them in an arm bar, twisting them, going, You're going to give, give to this. It wasn't that way. They didn't pass the plate and say, We didn't get enough, pass it again. They wanted to be part of this. Of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege in sharing to the ministry. You can almost imagine Paul being a Macedonian and going, Man, you guys have it rough right now. It is tough. And he said, hey, we've heard about this offering you're taking for the church in Jerusalem. We want to be part of that. I don't know, man. It's pretty rough over here. Things are tight. No, let us, please let us. They were begging for the privilege. Well, I mean, what kind of privileges do we enjoy in our lives that we, we often take for granted, right? You you watch these things where people talk about the the greatest privileges of your life, and it'll it'll shock you what people say when they respond to these questionnaires. I read this week that people often talk about clean water being one of the greatest privileges of your life. When you go outside and you turn on the spigot or you're inside and and you turn on the faucet and get a, a drink of cool water, do you stop and just think, like, what a privilege to just do that without thinking. I often don't. You go outside and you're watering your plants or something, and I don't know. Does it ever just strike you? I'm thirsty, and you take. Why do we? By the way, why do we call it a hose pipe? It's either a hose or a pipe. It can't be both, you know. And you take the hose pipe and just drink right out of it. Do you ever do that? Just because you can, you don't even think about it. It's a privilege. What a blessing, right? It's a privilege when when you get access to medical care. It's a privilege to own a pet. Why? Well, it means that you had discretionary income that you could put towards that. It's a privilege to get to go to school. So when you see that, it's, re- it's really important that we make this correlation. They were begging. They saw it as a privilege. They wanted to do it. It wasn't somebody coming to them and compelling them and saying, you have to do this, you need to be part of this. It's no salesmanship here. It was that they saw it as a privilege. And we have that privilege to do it today, to go before the Lord And to ask him to give through us. I saw this on display a couple of years ago in one of our partner giving nights. Um, We had a a, a mission partner that we were in partner with. And they sent somebody else for the night of giving. And it kind of got lost that we didn't have anything for them because we weren't expecting a family of six to show up. It was a mom and a dad. And four kids. So you can imagine my fear. I'm leading this night where I have this book of everything that people are bringing up, and I get to who it should be, and they're not here, and they had said, We don't need anything, but then they sent six people. So you got kids showing up, we got to get some of these kids. I didn't know what we were going to do. I had told my wife, I said, Just go to the store and buy a bunch of toys. Surely one of them will land with some of these kids. I don't know have no idea. They had left the country they had lived in with two suitcases each. That's all they had. And that night I was in here getting ready a little bit early and a gentleman in our church came up to me and said, man, I totally missed the whole thing about the cards and all that kind of thing. I, I, I wanted to be a part of this and I don't know. I just, I just missed it. I've got some cash. I'm just going to give you this cash. And I was like, I mean, really, cash, you know, pastors in cash, you know, we just don't, I don't want to be in the news, you know what I mean? Stole your money or something. I just, I just Let me get somebody over here and we're going to see that I didn't I said I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I've got a family. We've got nothing for and this is perfect for them. Because if we'd have bought them stuff, like they know what they need more than we do. They they left with only suitcases. It was like $1,000. I'll never forget and many of you may remember that night. When we gave that family that $1,000, the lady just sobbing. That's a privilege, folks. It's a privilege. And I loved that one of our members was begging. Is it too late to give? It's never too late to give. Is it too late to bless somebody? It's never too late to bless somebody. Is, it, is there ever a time where you go like, ah, oh, no, we don't need that. No, it's always great to do that. And I love that Somebody would come up to me and go, I hate that I missed it. I want to be part of it. And it was a God thing. It was right on time for exactly what they needed. Praise the Lord. That's what happens In our lives, when we beg to be included, I hope that our church would be a church that begs to be included in the work that God has for us. If that's going to happen, it hinges on one thing. Would you read this with me? Verse 5 again. Instead, they, the Macedonians, gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. When God has a man or a woman's life, he has all of them. And they walk around with open hands like this because they recognize that the things that are in their hands, God puts them there for a minute and then he takes them and uses them for other things. It's it's all the Lord's. It means that they walk around with their car keys. It's like this. They don't walk around. My car, my stuff, my thing. No, I'm a steward of everything that God has and I want to have open hands that God can use to funnel things to and through me. And as I think about that often, I think that it starts when we really give ourselves to the Lord. If you give yourself to the Lord, then he has your wallet. He has your checkbook. He has your eyes so that you see need. He has your hands so that you can serve needs. He has your heart. I mean, he has it all. And for us this morning, could I just encourage us to stop for just a second and make sure that God really has us. I find that I have to do that often. I, I don't know about you, but I find that that song is so true in my life, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I, I mean, I just, I find it. And, and I need God just to, to take me and, and, and keep me bound to him. So that he has all of me. I want him to have all of me. I don't want to play a game with him. I want him to have it all. And if he has all of me, then he has me to use for his kingdom. And if he has all of me, then I'm on point. I'm on mission. I'm working out that strategy that God has given us. If he has all of me, I can help fund missions. I can do all of those things. And and if you think about that, it becomes really important. For God to have all of us, it changes things. I was talking to my cousin the other day. He's been a lifelong Sunday school teacher. And I was telling him what I was about to be preaching on and, and he laughed and he said, you know, one of the most awkward Sunday school classes I ever taught was on giving. And I said, really? What, what was so awkward about it? He said, well, I looked around at our class and I said, you know, if your lifestyle is the exact same... As everybody who's in your same income bracket, as a Christian, there's something wrong because 10% belong to the Lord and then God's using you to fund other things in his kingdom and his ministry. Your lifestyle shouldn't look the same. And he said, boy, he got very, very quiet in that room. People started looking down. He said, I kind of didn't know what to do with it after that. You know, it was just... But it, shouldn't that be the case of our lives? I mean, I mean, if, if I'm a, a teacher and somebody else is a teacher and we're earning the same, it ought to look different, shouldn't it? I, I might not have the exact same things that they have. The, if they're not a believer, my lifestyle should be different. And I wanna encourage us, I want us to give like the Macedonians gave. I think they gave because they knew what the wheel of giving looks like. You know what the wheel of giving is. It's the wheel of life. Sometimes you're on top of it And sometime it rolls and it flattens you. You don't have nearly what you need and you're hoping somebody on the top will give you a little to help you through that season. And when you're on top, I hope you'll give remembering what it was like. So how do we do it? We ask ourselves this question every year. What would God give through you that he wouldn't give to you? Would you turn to the next chapter chapter 9, verse 7 and 8, we see this really clearly, how this works. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. It begins with the heart. When my heart is God's, when I'm joyful, it's easy for me to give. You so how much should I give? I don't know. You should pray about it. The scripture says each person should give as God has purposed for you to give in your heart. When we do global focus giving, we ask you, and it's very important that you do it, we ask you to fill out a card that says what you hope you'll be able to give for the next year. Now I want to remind you. A lot of times people say, "Well, I'm not filling out a card." That just makes it hard on us because based on those cards is how we do our budgets with all of our partners. Those cards are anonymous. Please don't write your name on it. We want it to be anonymous. We we don't. You know we have never come to anyone's house. You were three dollars short. Let's go, pony up, pal. You promised. It doesn't work that way. It's what God's purpose in your heart. We ask you to give it through the year to missions. There's three ways that you could do that, basically, I think, as you pray about this. One would be better stewardship. Choosing something in missions over something else. And you say, well, what does that look like? Well, okay, I'm not going to eat out one time, two times a month. I'm going to give that to missions this year. I'm going to do that. That's just, that's easy. I can do that. Uh, I'm going to to make a, a stewardship decision to hold off on purchasing something new. What I have that is used is fine, and I, I can live with it for another year. I'm going to give that to missions. It'll be fine. That would be a better stewardship. You're, you're choosing to increase a gift over here and decrease something out of your budget. You can do that. You could do something that would kind of be innovative. Uh, one year, I, I had a car that I had Purchased, thinking I was going to buy it. I decided, I I, I mean, I wanted to keep it. I decided not to keep it. And it came about global focus time. And we said, Lord, I'm going to do the work to get this car right. And I'm going to sell it. And anything over top of what I have put into it is yours for global focus. And God sold it for more than I had in it. And I gave it to missions. It was very simple, but that was something God laid on my heart. I I haven't bought any more cars to do that with, by the way, because I think I'd be upside down. And it It was very specific that year. I mean, it was just it was unusual. So maybe God gives you an innovative idea like that of, of I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do something that'll be cool. I, I've had this thing, I don't need it. I'm gonna sell it, I'm gonna give it. God's put that on my heart. I know I can do that. The third way that you could do it is through an unexpected gift or income. One year, I very clearly felt like God told me early on in the year that the one day offering was gonna come through outside speaking engagements that I had. I don't speak outside this church very often. It doesn't happen. It hasn't happened since that I felt like God told me to do that. But I felt very specifically like that was going to happen. And I said, well, Lord, if that's what you say, that'll be fine. And I'll just sit around and wait on the call. And I waited and waited and waited and waited. And then all of a sudden I had two calls and those two things funded more than the amount that I felt like God had said he was going to give through us that year. And we just purposed in our heart to do that. You might do the same thing. Hey, I'm gonna work a little bit of extra overtime this year because the boss has given me an opportunity and I don't need the money and I'm gonna take this overtime money, I'm just gonna give it. Or maybe it's through an unexpected gift. You know, and Ethel passed away and despite you not being a very good niece or nephew, you get a gift from her estate and you didn't need it or whatever, you know, and you you can give that. God does it through amazing ways all the time, unexpected gifts or income. But the question is, what would God give through you that he wouldn't give to you? When you become a conduit for what God's doing, it gets really exciting. These next two weeks, can I ask you to do something It's not about the amount. It is about you going through the exercise of praying through this and giving something. We don't set a goal. There's no goal. Because you know what I believe? We could reach the goal and miss the mark. Because you don't have to give. You can say, well, other people are going to do that. Somebody else will take care of that. This is for all of us. If you're here and you're part of our church, all of these dollars leave our church. They don't stay here. They go to other people. So this is not me saying, hey, give because give I want it. The, the pastor wants it so he can do his project. The pastor wants it because he wants his salary taken care of. The pastor wants it. No. All these dollars go to fund missions. And so my question to you is, does God have your heart? If he has your heart, I believe that you'll give something to missions this year. And I believe it will be exactly what our mission partners need. Could we be joyful and faithful in this season to trust the Lord and to seek his face? That's what I'm going to ask you to do these next two weeks. As you're reading the scripture, as you're praying, would you just go before the Lord and say, Lord, what would you do in us this year? And you may be surprised. God may shock you. I was certainly shocked. With the year that I had the outside speaking engagements, I felt like, Lord, I mm, I may need to go back and eat some breakfast before I pray about this one again. I don't know how that would be possible. And God said, I'll show you it's going to be possible and it's going to be more. Okay, and it was. Would you just take some time and not rush through the next two weeks, but go before the Lord and make sure he has your heart And with joy and gladness, go before him and beg him for the privilege to be a part of it. I want to be part of this. Do something in my life, Lord, because God can do it. And as he does it, it's going to make an eternal impact. I want to pray for us right now. And I want to pray that God would have our hearts during this season. Heavenly Father, you have been so good to us. You've been so faithful to us. And my prayer today for Judson Baptist Church is that you would have our hearts, Lord. And and by, by having our hearts, you would have all of us. Lord, we want you to have all of us. We want all of you. Lord, would you speak to us about what we're to give? God, I believe you want to do a great work in our lives. And so we're asking right now, God, you to do it. Our lives, our times, they're in your hands. And we recognize that everything that has been created is yours and by your hand. Father, I pray in this season, you would blow someone's mind with how you come through and give through them what you wouldn't give to them. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask you to do it in